At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, I hope, I hope that you have been reading through the New Testament with us. Um, this series that, that we started in January called NT90 was a challenge to read through the entire New Testament in 90 days. If you've, um, if you've not done that, if you're new, if you're just kind of jumping in, let me just encourage you to start reading today or tomorrow with the book of Hebrews, and uh, you'll be with us for the last month or so. If you read three or four chapters a day, you'll be right on target, and you'll kind of be there along with the messages. Um, Jake preached last week from what, what are sometimes called the, the prison epistles. They're le- letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. Um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. We, we read Philemon this week. And um, all of those letters were written while Paul was in prison, which is really kind of cool context when you understand that, that he was writing to churches or groups of churches, a region or whatever, to challenge them, to encourage them, maybe to correct some wrong teaching, all those things while he was in prison is, is when he was writing those. Um, what we read primarily this week was what are called the pastoral epistles. They were letters that Paul wrote to um, young preachers, uh, to pastors that, that were not just pastors in training. They had spent lots of time with Paul, and Paul was just kind of feeding into them, um, investing in them so that they could be the best pastors, the best preachers that they could be. First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus, those are the pastoral epistles. We also read this past week, First and Second Thessalonians, which is different than the prison epistles or the pastoral epistles because First and Second Thessalonians, Paul wrote two letters to the church in Thessalonica and he really wrote them primarily to deal with false teaching about when Jesus was going to come back. Um, he, ever since the first century, Christians have been trying to figure out when's Jesus going to come back, what's, what's it going to look like. I, I don't know about you, but I had a ton of fun. It was, it was just really exciting for me to read through First and Second Thessalonians in a period of just a few days and to, and to kind of process that in a way that I never had before. So much so that I think sometime later in this, in this year, in 2021, we're going to have a series of messages that come from Thessalonians about what the return of Jesus looks like, what Scripture teaches about that, because lots of people think lots of different things, right, about uh, when Jesus is going to going to come back. Um, What we're going to do today is look at one concept that I think is really, really important for us um, that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The first two verses is where we're going to go. If you want to open your app, open to the um, sermon notes that are there. If if you don't have a phone, if you don't um, bring a phone, if that's not how you read the Bible, let me just encourage you every Sunday to bring your Bible to church because it will help you to physically be involved in that. If you've got your phone, open that up and get there. it's, it's a great way to, to just connect with the Word of God. Here are the two verses that, that we're going to look at today. Um, Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul's this battle-tested veteran. Um, you know, he's, he's lived for Jesus, been through all kinds of stuff. Timothy's a younger preacher, and he says this in, in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. 
Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Let's, let's pray before we jump in the message. Um, God, we ask that you would speak to us right now, collectively and individually. God, speak to me even as we look at your word and the truths that are there. Um, God, I, I pray for people right now that I know that are hurting, that are, that are just dragging, and um, ask that you'd, that you'd come alongside them, that you'd comfort them, that you would give your hope that uh, even in the next few minutes that we would see you in a new way that would, that would just let joy well up and expectation and, uh, and the chance to just sit in your love today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What you know has to flow so it can grow. What you know has to flow so it can grow. Say that with me. What you know has to flow so it can grow. One more time. What you know has to flow so it can grow. That, that, that phrase, I think, captures what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where, where, where Paul says, Timothy, my son, you know, rest in the grace that you know through Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. What you know, Timothy, is what it looks like to follow Jesus because of our relationship, because of what you've seen in me. Um, let me just give you some context. Paul spent lots of time with Timothy, years with Timothy, investing in him. Timothy went with him on journeys. Timothy went with him when he preached. Timothy was kind of hanging out with him all the way through the process of Paul doing ministry. And so you know that during that time, they had all kinds of really, really cool conversations. You know, the kind of conversations that you have on a, on a fall uh, evening when you build the campfire and you're sitting around and just yakking and all of a sudden you're talking about really deep stuff. That was Paul and Timothy's relationship. They traveled together. They, they, you know that Paul, because of who Paul was, that Paul would probably ask lots of probing questions of Timothy. Timothy, what do you think about this? What do you think Jesus meant when he said this? And, and you've got to know that Timothy, having Paul right there and spending so much time with, with him, was all the time saying, Paul, what do I do about this? How do I need to think about this? Their relationship allowed Timothy to see Jesus through Paul. It was so, so important. Um, they, uh, th their relationship was much more than a teacher-student. They invested their lives in each other. Um, they, they, they were able to observe each other in all kinds of circumstances. When you read through, the, especially the letters, and you read about some of the stuff that Paul experienced with Timothy, Timothy would have seen Paul, how he dealt with persecution when he was beaten, when, when uh, he was shipwrecked, Paul would have, or Timothy would have seen that. And Timothy would have seen Paul's um, protective nature, Paul standing up for him when, when Timothy was getting beat up over his racial heritage, you know, that he was a mixed-race kid. Um, Paul defended him. They, their relationship was solid. They didn't just have a, a working relationship. They deeply cared about each other. So much so that when Paul writes his first letter to Timothy, he says, 
Timothy, this, this is Paul writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And in the beginning of chapter 2, he calls him his son again. He had taught him. He had trained him. He had, he had entrusted him to do ministry. That sounds cool, right? What's it take to have that kind of relationship with someone? That, to me, that's a, that's, a, that's a real legitimate question. If I want to have that kind of relationship, what, what do I need to be to have that kind of relationship? I think it starts with a teachable spirit. With, with this sense that, God, what do you have to teach me? Because I don't have it all figured out. And I can learn from somebody who's willing to invest in me. That's, that's I think, so critical for us. Um, one of the things that I learned when I was a professor at Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, for those four years, was that it was very possible to communicate information and have students sit in my class read the books that they were assigned, nod at me, take notes, and pass the test and not get it at all, right? Some of you nod your head, say, I was that student, right? Um, unless, unless you take the, the information that's being communicated, unless you're able to apply it to your life and put it into practice, it's just information and it frankly is a waste of time and a loss of money. It's only when you begin to implement that. Howard Hendricks, who's a professor at, at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary a bunch of years ago, was famous for saying the, student, the teacher has never taught until the student has learned, which means not just that you could recite the information, but when you could put into practice the concepts that were being taught, that's when true learning had taken place and when the teacher had really taught. Paul said, the things that you've heard me teach, they've been affirmed and confirmed by reliable witnesses. When you read that, does it make you think, wait a second, who are those reliable witnesses? He's learning from Paul, right? Who are the reliable witnesses? Who do you think they were? They were the apostles, the people who were with Jesus, who had firsthand heard him teach, who had seen him do miracles who had sat at his feet, who had watched him when he had been beaten and crucified for our sins, who had seen him after the resurrection. Those were the reliable witnesses that Paul's talking about. He says, Timothy, the things that you've heard from me, you've had those confirmed by others. Um, what you know is true. Um, I, I, I love it that uh, um, Warren Wearsby wrote this about this particular passage. He said, it's important that we get our original treasure from the word of God. Pause just for a second. Don't forget at this point in time, Timothy doesn't have the New Testament that we have now to, to verify. Those, those, those witnesses were it. Paul was it. They were getting firsthand information. So they didn't have the New Testament at that point. Wearsby, it's important that we get our original treasure from the word of God and not from the ideas and philosophies of men. We do not test modern teachers by their popularity, education, or skill. We test them by the word of God, and particularly the doctrines of grace as given by Paul. It is not we who examine Paul to see if he is right. It's Paul who examines us. Um, Paul says, you know, the stuff that I've been teaching you isn't good self-help, self-motivation talk about how to win friends and influence people. It's truth that can change lives, that can change destinies, 
that can change the world. Just a little bit later in the chapter, just a couple of paragraphs later, Paul says to Timothy, work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. I don't know if this is true for anybody else or not, but as I've read through, particularly the pastoral epistles, um, it, it struck me how many times that Paul said, don't quit yakking about stuff that doesn't matter. Don't get into conversations about tiny details of stuff to try and figure it out and think that you're so smart because you've got it figured out. Focus on the main things. Let the main thing be the main thing. What Paul says to Timothy is what you know is all about moving toward Jesus, loving him deeply, being more like him. What you know makes a difference. What you know has to flow. He goes on to say, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people. Other trustworthy people teach these truths. Paul doesn't just say a truth or some truth. It was the truth, the truth that sets us free, the truth that makes the difference between life and death, the truth that was Jesus. Find reliable witnesses. Uh, find trustworthy people that you can communicate these truths to. Um, it's critical in a time period, historically, where so much depended upon oral history for Paul to be very specific in terms of what he says to Timothy. Realize that this was a time without computers, right? Um, no smartphones, no recording devices, no yellow tablets that you could just scribble on uh, to your heart's content. It was expensive and a significant deal to write in a journal, to take notes, to record history. That didn't happen in very many places. And so Paul says, understand that the things that you've gotten from me, you've got to find others that you can invest in. It's going to happen verbally. And you've got to find people that care as much about this truth and about Jesus as you do to make sure that they get it right. Um, People, you've got to find people that you can pour into, um, that you can trust, so that, so that they can communicate what it, what it means to know and follow Jesus. Here at North Point, we talk about that, and we use a, we use a phrase often called disciple, uh, that we say disciple-making relationships. You need to be in a disciple-making relationship. You need to be involved in making a disciple with, uh, uh, with other people within that process. The reason that we care so much about life groups, that we push people life groups, it's because in life groups, you develop disciple-making relationships. You develop that relationship of somebody that you're walking through life with that you can encourage each other, that you can hold each other accountable, that you can ask each other the hard questions. We, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, not just someone who believes in Jesus and comes to church, but someone who daily is saying, my goal today is to know Jesus more deeply and to follow him more closely if that's you, we have to be involved in disciple-making relationships. 
while that may include our spouse or our kids, it has to be more than just our spouse or our kids. Don't miss this. Disciples will make disciples or they're not really disciples. You can't have the identity as a follower of Jesus without embracing the mission of making disciples that Jesus gives. The treasure of knowing Jesus and knowing the hope that's found in him is not something that we can keep to ourselves. If it really is good news, you don't just hold on to it. That's something that matters, that makes a difference. You know, that stands in contrast to the, to the view of the church in our culture right now. Right now, we say, oh, faith's a personal thing. It's my thing. I keep it to myself. That's where it needs to go. As a matter of fact, we often say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to this particular church, but if I find a better preacher, I'm going to go there. Or if I find a better music that I like more, that's more my fit, I'm going to go there. Or if you know what? If the preacher challenges too hard that you need to be serving and you need to be taking action um, as a follower of Jesus, eh, I just want to go and consume. I just want to go and be fed. I just want to go and sit. That's, that's the perspective we often have of the church. Um, how, how many of you parents have ever had some moments where you thought, you know, I'm tired of parenting. Um, I love my kids, but it's a lot more fun to pay attention to my job, to my house, to this new cottage, this new car, this new boat, this new toy, whatever it is. That's a, they're a lot more fun than parenting. My kids are going to be okay, and I'm just so tired. I don't want to do it. We may think that, but more times than not, we recognize that the window that we have to parent is really, really small. And we've got to be diligent and intentional to pass on the things that we've learned to our kids. A good parent, a great parent, realizes that the stakes are too high and they can't stop. They can't stop parenting because of a toy or something else that's new in their life. A disciple of Jesus knows the treasure of knowing Jesus and knowing the hope that is found in him is not something that we can keep to ourselves. Um, over the last year during the pandemic, has anybody else missed going to a buffet you know, whatever kind of buffet. You know, the, you know what I'm talking about, where you go and you just load your plate up and eat and you load your plate up and eat some more and you load your plate up and eat some more until you're sick, right? Uh, anybody else miss that? Some of you are laughing. Some of you are, uh, yeah, some, okay. Um, th there's, the, there's this sense that sometimes that's the perspective that we have spiritually. We come to church and we get fed and fed and fed and fed. And we never do anything with that. A number of years ago, I uh, was on a mission trip to Honduras. Um, I, I, remember, I remember this particular event so clearly. It was really fun. We were in the, the Merendon Mountains outside San Pedro Sula in Honduras. And um, we were there. And as a part of the mission trip, one of the things that we did was one day we took the kids from the mountains and took them to the beach to be able to swim in the, in the Caribbean. Most of these kids, the, the, where we were, was an incredibly rural, um, uh, isolated place. 
And, and these kids, the 15 kids or so that we took, most of them had never even been to the city. They had never been down off the mountain. And so we took them down, drove through the city, drove to the beach. They'd never seen the beach, never been in the water. And, and it was a hoot for, you know, for me to watch these kids um, get in the water and respond to the surf and the sand that they'd never experienced before. Didn't, they didn't have swimming suits, so they're swimming in their undies. It, it just was, it was a really, really cool day. After we'd spent three or four hours at the beach, we, run, we drive back into the city, into San Pedro Sula, and we're taking them out for, for dinner. We went to Pollo Rea, uh, the, the chicken king. It's uh, kind of like Kentucky Fried Chicken. And these kids had never been to a restaurant before. The closest they'd ever been was a pulperia, which is a kind of a neighborhood store in the mountains. Never been to a restaurant. And so they're, they, they're like in luxury and elegance sitting in this restaurant at chairs with, and we buy them all three-piece chicken dinners with fries. And they're eating and laughing and having a blast. And after about 10 minutes, they, they just kind of stop eating. And um, one of the translators says to, says to the kids, are, are you not hungry? And I'm thinking, man, we have worn these kids out. They can't even eat their food. And, and when they asked that in the conversation that started, all of the children began to just get kind of shy and sheepish. And the reason was not that they weren't hungry, but what they had experienced was so incredibly cool that they were taking two pieces of chicken and half their fries back to share with their siblings in the mountains, 45 minutes away. But literally, what they said was, I can't eat this all myself. I've got to give some to my brother, to my sister, to my mom, my dad. I've got to let them share this experience. That's the picture of what Paul says to Timothy. What you know has got to flow. It's got to be given out. It, it has to, to just be duplicated. Um, you know what the biggest part of my job is for the next five to seven years here at North Point? It's to invest in the next generation of leaders here at the church. It's to, it's to help develop elders and teachers and, and people who can lead and guide the church. North Point, um, in about a month, will turn. Uh, will celebrate its 181st birthday as a church here in this location, in this community. That's incredible. It's because we stand on the shoulders of the generations who have gone before, who have invested in us. Um, I regularly ask myself, as I sit in the office, Am I being intentional in, in teaching and communicating the lessons that I've learned over the last 40 years of ministry to Jake, to Chris, to Amy, to Mark, to Hope, to, to Jamie, to our staff? Am I, am, I, am I giving out the things that I've learned because it's too important to, to just let vanish away? We all know the phrase that says... Um, um, if you uh, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you, uh, you feed him for a lifetime. Um, that, there's a tweak on that phrase that I heard this week that I really love. It was about this couple that said a part of the language that they share as a married couple together is the phrase, teach me to fish. And they use that phrase, teach me to fish, whenever one of them knows how to do something and the other one doesn't. Um, and, and so in our world, it, it would be uh, for, with me and Deb, the, the way that this happens, Deb will say, I can't make the computer do what I want it to do. Um, 
and I'll say, oh, this is all you have to do. And, she, and she'll say, no, she doesn't say this yet, but we're going to after this week. She's, uh, she's, she's going to say, teach me to fish, which means show me how to do it so that I can do it in the future and I don't have to rely on you to do it for me. Make sense? Teach me to fish. That, that's the concept that's there as, as Paul encourages Timothy to feed into other people to teach them how to fish. Not to just teach them how to fish, but where to fish where to find the food. Um, Moms and dads, don't just prepare food for your kids as they grow up. Teach them how to heat up a frozen pizza. Teach them how to work the grill and cook a steak. Teach them how to bake a cake. Teach them how to saute peppers and onions. Teach them how to prepare, how to choose the right ingredients, how to find or create great recipes. And don't just bring them to church to be fed spiritually. Teach them how to read and study the Bible. Teach them how to apply it to their lives. Teach them how to recognize the nudges of the Holy Spirit. Teach them what it looks like to repent when you sin. Some of you are thinking right now, this is great. I need somebody to pour into me. I, you know, I don't know how to do all that stuff. I need someone to do that. And that's true. Everyone needs a Paul. And everyone needs a Timothy. The challenge of today's message is not to say, go find a Paul. The challenge of today's message is to say, go find a Timothy, somebody that you can invest in so that what you know has to flow um, who are you investing in? That's, that's really the critical question. Um, and, and maybe somewhere in there is a question of what's your, what's your motivation for investing in them? Uh, is it so that you can just check something off your list? You can say, oh, yeah, I'm doing 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. I don't think so. I think it's because you love God's kingdom. It's because you care about the future generations that are coming. It's because God has done stuff in you that's important that you want to pass along to others. How much do you need to know to, in order to be able to teach somebody else? Just a little bit more than they know. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have, have um, gone through the process of being certified online by, by whoever it is. You just need to know a little bit more than they do. I am no master chef. As a matter of fact, I'm not even really a competent cook. But I was able to teach my kids how to make grilled cheese and, and make an omelet, how to grill a burger, because I knew just a little bit more than them. And now they know lots more than I do. What you know has to flow so it can grow. Paul says to Timothy, these things that you've heard me teach have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Paul said, Timothy, don't just teach so that they can obey. Find people so that you can teach, so that they can teach others as well. Find people whose heart is after Jesus that you can invest in 
so that they can invest in others and the, king, king, and the kingdom can continue to grow. That's, it, it's what we call the ministry of multiplication and multiplying yourself through others. 23 years ago, my brother-in-law left a great business building custom homes in uh, South Central Ohio. He left that business in order to become a teacher at the Warren County Career Center to teach vocationally guys to be carpenters. Why did he do that? It's because he got tired of hiring bad carpenters, carpenters that didn't really know their trade. They could nail, they could hammer nails, they could drive screws, they could put in insulation, but they, but they weren't craftsmen. And Steve's business in building custom houses depended upon expert craftsmanship. His specialty really was to take houses that existed and build additions onto them and to, and to put those things together in such a way that it became one house without any separation between the old and the new. I, I, he did it with a house that was 150 years old. He built, he built an addition that was almost as big as the original house. And you couldn't tell where the old house was and where the new house was because he was a craftsman that had learned his skill from his Uncle Ken who is also a master craftsman as a carpenter. That's the calling that we have, the calling that Paul gives to Timothy, find faithful men. Steve went to teach at the Career Center so that he could find guys who cared about carpentry, who wanted to develop skills, who wanted to become expert craftsmen in that particular trade. Don't miss this. We are a living link between generations of believers. It doesn't matter what age you are. You're the link between those who have gone before you and those who come after you. There are spiritual truths that you have learned, things about the character of God that need to be taught to the next generation of believers. They need your explanation and understanding of the faithfulness of God when a loved one is diagnosed with a disease. They need the lessons that you learned when someone that you loved died and didn't know Jesus. They need you to explain what it means to, to be a husband that serves, a wife that submits and, and partners with her husband. They need you to explain what it means to trust God with your finances. They need you to help them figure out how to share their story. That's, that's what that ministry of multiplication is about. It's about investing in faithful people who can also invest in other faithful people. How do you accomplish what Paul was telling Timothy to do? Um, you know, there's, there's a pattern that I think works in lots of settings. It, it, it may come down to just simply investing, spending time together and talking, taking people with you as you, as you live out life. But here's the, here's the pattern that I think works great. If you think about it in the context of a life group leader or a life group host or somebody who leads a ministry, it's this. It, it, it starts this way. You know what? I'm going to do it. I want you to watch me, and then we're going to talk about it. I'm going to lead this class. I want you to be a part of the class and we're going to talk about what happens. I'm going to lead life group. I want you to watch. And then we're going to talk about it. And when we talk about it, I'm, I'm going to say, hey, did you notice when that person checked out? It's because it's this happened. And you need to be aware of that. The next step is that I'm going to lead, but you're going to help me. 
and then we're going to talk about it. So maybe, maybe, you're a, maybe you host a life group and you're able to say, okay, I'm going to host, but I want you to watch. And then the next step is I want you to come and help set up the room, set everything up so that in life group, um, it, it's, the environment is right for people to be able to learn and to grow. I watch you help, we talk. And next we're going to switch and you're going to lead and I'm going to help. You're not going to be left on your own. You do it, I'll help you. And then we'll talk about it. We'll talk about how you can grow, what, what you did great, some areas that you can improve. And then the next step is that you're going to do it and I'm just going to sit and watch. But then afterwards, we can still talk about it. We can, I can still answer your questions. I can still encourage you. I can maybe show you some things that you didn't do in that, in that context. And then once you've gone through that whole process, the next step is that I'm going to go invest in somebody else and you're going to go invest in somebody else. And we're going to multiply that process. That's what it looks like in practical terms. That's what Jesus did. You know, um, in the last 10 days, we hosted two funerals here at North Point. Um, and in the process of having a funeral on Friday and another funeral on Monday, it reminded me of something that my dad had said to me, uh, I don't know, five or six years ago. Um, he was in his 80s. And most of my dad's friends, most of my dad's immediate family had already passed away. And dad said this. He said, when a person dies, it's like a library burns down. All of their stories, all of their knowledge, all of their history is gone forever. I wish my dad was still alive because I've got pictures at my house that I haven't a clue who the people are that are in them, but my dad would have known. I have stories in my head that my dad told me that I've gone fuzzy on the details and I wish I, could, I wish I could ask him, but he's gone and the ability to recall that stuff is gone. To lose the message and the details of the gospel is to lose eternal truth. To lose the message of, and the details of the gospel in your life have that die with you is to lose eternal truth. If you're a disciple of Jesus, somebody following Jesus, somebody being changed by Jesus, somebody pursuing the mission of Jesus, you are a living library of the truth and faithfulness of Jesus. To not invest, to not share that knowledge to not share that experience, that love with someone who can pass it along to others would be a terrible waste. Do you know why, not why, do you, do you know how it came to be that I became the pastor here at North Point? A guy who never planned on doing ministry and once I started doing ministry, I thought, nah, I never want to be a lead pastor. How, how, did, how did it end up that I got here? It's because of my dad and mom, Bob and Jean Rubel. It's because of Bethine Grubal, who was the adult that worked with me as a seventh grader every year up until I was in 12th grade. It's because of Roy Mays and Byron Cartwright, who in college invested in me. It's because of Ken Mead, who was a, 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 the pastor that I served with for 12 years in Maryland. It's because of Mark Scott, who was the academic dean at Ozark Christian College, and poured into me in those four years. 
is because of Terry Wusky, who's been an older friend that's been a mentor for me for my life. All of them poured into me and said, man, the stuff that we've given you needs to be given to others. Entrust to faithful men what, what they can reproduce in others. What you know has to flow so it can grow. That is our challenge. Let's pray. Father God, um, we, uh, we confess right now that it's really easy for us to just absorb and not to pour into others. God, we confess that um, it's easy for us to not be intentional to pour into others. And Lord, we ask for your help. We care about your kingdom. The things that you've taught us, God, have been amazing. Your presence in our life in times of crisis has been um, incredible. The hope that we have in you is what makes life worth living. God, help us. Help us to find people that we can pour into, that can pour into others, and your kingdom can grow. In Jesus' name we pray.